What's up, everyone? This is episode 211 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. And you could also find me on the couch this week for most of the week. This was, in fact, my spring break, and I was excited about working on a bunch of podcast content for you. Instead, I ended up being sick the last five days, and believe it or not, this is the best my voice has sounded this whole time which uh, I knew I wouldn't be recording the whole episode, but the show must go on, right? So you came dangerously close to getting an intro read by either the online robot again, or Show Lee, or maybe even Mrs. Wax Museum. And you know what? Some of you might prefer that, right? Maybe that will happen at some point. But you got me instead today, and thankfully today's conversation was recorded before I got sick, so make sure to stay tuned for that. I'll be sharing that with you here shortly. Real quick though, some of you have asked me for ways that you can help support this show, so I want to remind you that I have affiliate links with eBay and Fanatics, and using these links costs you absolutely nothing. Just an extra 30 seconds or so of your time. To access them, simply go to waxmuseumpodcast.com, click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, so whatever you were going to buy anyway, Just click my link first, and the show gets a small commission in the process. So once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hey everybody, Boston Steve here, the Northeast correspondent, checking in from the city of a winning basketball team, and you are listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, so a couple weeks ago, I was browsing Instagram, and I came across a pinned post from what looked like a meme account, and they post under the handle at playerworn. And it was a list that this person had put together titled 50 Unwritten Rules of Sports Cards and Some Tips for New Collectors. And I thought this was just a really good, helpful post. So I reached out to this person. We started chatting a little bit. Coincidentally enough, his name is also Kyle. And I asked him if he'd be willing to come on the show and discuss some of the topics from this post. So here we are today. Kyle, how's it going, man? Yeah, thank you, Kyle. Very happy to be here invited to talk on the wax museum podcast you know thanks for having me um i know you're an established sports card podcast in the community and again i'm really excited to be here well i noticed in your profile you mentioned that um you're always willing to connect with people or you you have a couple of spots in there where you mentioned that people can reach out to you for help so i really appreciated that and i mentioned mm-hmm. that instagram profile in the intro Um, And to be honest, you know, you and I really don't know one another. I know we chatted for about 10 or 15 minutes before this started, but um, so your Instagram is about all we have to go on heading into today's conversation. So we might as well start there. And I'm just curious, you've chosen the handle at player worn. And I I know, you know, when I think of player worn, I think of Mm -hmm. of, uh, relic cards, obviously. And uh, for a while, people were staunchly against player worn <laughs> materials, and many people still are. So, what's going through your mind when you brand your account in that way? And and then tell me a little bit more about your profile in general. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, player worn, I think, is everyone's least favorite part of the hobby, or event worn. Maybe it could have been event worn, but it was player worn, and it's really just a play on words um, for myself. It's just a meme page 
for some of the common difficulties that we go through in the hobby and as we experience different things, spending lots of money and not getting not getting your value back or you know your spouse finding out how much you spent on cards, <laughs> kind of like those type of activities. And so I thought player worn was appropriate because it's something that we all look at the back of the card or the front of the card and they go, oh God, that's player, you know, player worn, of course, not not game worn. And so I thought it was a good name for a meme page in itself. Yeah. And, and now, unfortunately, now we're we're begging for player worn now that we're getting the, <laughs> the non-associated stuff. Right. Well, in addition to the sports cards and memes portion of your bio, you mentioned that you enjoy ultra modern basketball and late 90s, early 2000s baseball, which, you know, seems like an unlikely mix to me. But, I, you know, I love that. So if you don't mind, can you take some time here to narrate your hobby history for us? Because I'd love to know more about how you got to where we are today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and this story is probably like every other person that you talk to, you know, collected early and came back later. And for me, collecting uh, baseball in the mid 90s when I was a teenager was kind of like my prime time, you know, wheelhouse for collecting. Uh, specifically, 98, I think was like the peak of that. I really love 90s, not only baseball, but basketball card designs too. You know, the introduction of like chromium cards, die cuts, and inserts, and some autos. And even numbered cards and even numbered cards back then were like numbered at 10,000. But still, mm -hmm. to me, it was a very interesting time for sports cards and the transition from the 80s. And so as time went along in high school and college, you know, the interest in cards really dropped off. Got a job, had a couple of kids, and then came back to it probably some point in 2018, 2019, sometime around there. My brother-in-law you know, he kind of reached out to me. He said, hey, have you ever had any interest in sports cards? And we kind of got talking about that and uh, what's going on right now. And that's where it all started and snowballed. And really interesting to see what happened with the sports card market, you know, during COVID 2020, 21 and where it is right now. And so I'm hoping, you know, I stay in this hobby and continue to collect and, and move forward. But that's my history from a sports card collecting standpoint. Well, um, you know, you say your stories like everyone else's, which there are mm -hmm. some similarities, but you did get in kind of right before a lot of other people came back mm -hmm. to the hobby. So I, I would say that kind of gave you a leg up. Did you feel like, I, I mean, obviously, you, you know, we didn't know that was coming, but mm -hmm. um, looking back now, do you think that that's put you in a little bit better spot? I think so. And I have a, one of the points in your list you had mentioned is I think everybody should spend about three months just researching the sports card market before they dive in and spend their money into it. You know, understanding scarcity and demand and what's grading and what's, you know, subgrades, what are all these different type of things or variables in the card community before you really start buying things. And so I kind of did that, but I also came in at a time where it didn't really matter what you bought. And, you know, mm -hmm. 18, 19, buy Don Russ baseball autos or whatever it might be and sell those for, you know, three to four times profit three months later. And in, in some ways, it kind of put unrealistic expectations, I think, on sports card collectors in general who just came in at that time. It was, oh, wow, I can really buy anything and sell anything at 10x what I got it for. And now we're kind of learning as we move forward into this market we are in right now, you have to spend your money very carefully in what you expect um, uh, to, to gain profits in the future. Yeah, I noticed there were a lot of smaller card shops that were coming into play and that's allocation wasn't even in the question for them. They were just buying mm -hmm, blasters mm -hmm. or whatever and flipping them. You had a lot of people mm -hmm. that decided, hey, I'm going to go full time into this thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it turns out that 
as as a lot of us figured, that's a lot harder than they thought it would be. Uh, and that's not, I'm not slamming those people. It's just the right. reality of the situation that we're in. On the buying side of that, I feel like trying to deal with those people is very difficult because they're mm-hmm. still, you know, they're trying to take three or four or five cards and and get, you know, 10 times the amount that they probably could off of it. And uh, it's just like, you know, we're, we're trying to be patient because we know that stuff's going to come down. So there's still a little bit of a tug of war. Have you noticed that? Yeah, I think so. And I think expectations, like I mentioned before, have gotten more realistic. You know, if you were to put your money into stocks and you're getting seven to 10% return a year, that's amazing. Like that's really great about, but if you have, you know, a hundred dollar card and it only gets up to $110, that can be a large disappointment for majority collectors because they're expecting a card value to explode. Right. Mm -hmm. And I I do agree with that, you know, seeing 2020, 2021, where people were in line, you know, trying to find the the dealer who brings them into target, you know, all that kind of you know stuff that happened around then and finding around target for those uh, things. Yeah. I absolutely see that. Now you go to target and the shelves are just like, it's just, just a strange sight. Bizarro. It's a bizarro world. And I know I told myself during that era, like I, I knew we would get back to this and I say, oh, you know, it's going to be nice to be able to walk in there and grab a blaster again. Yeah. And uh, I'm not grabbing blasters now. <laughs> no. Right. You know, exactly. I thought I would be, but I, I think mm-hmm. I just like the ability to go grab it more so than actually, you know, getting that hoops blaster and, and getting a bunch of junk. Um, yeah. Cause we all know what's going to happen. You're going to open it up and, and not probably more than likely not get your money back on, on opening those car- right. cards. Right. Or, or, or barely, you know, even, even if I were to get $20 worth of enjoyment out of it, then I would be okay with it. But uh, a lot of times that's, that's not the case at all. So if it isn't already obvious that you're pretty immersed in the hobby right now, I would say your list of 50 unwritten rules more or less confirms that as well. Mm. And uh, I didn't figure we'd have time to touch on all 50 rules today. I mean, we probably could if we just went through them rapid fire, but I pre-selected 15 or so, and I figure we can spend a minute or two chatting about each one. So uh, I'm just going to go ahead and read one of them off. And I just kind of want to get your thoughts behind that idea. And and maybe we can go from there. So the one that I picked out first here, and and this is really no particular order. Mm -hmm. Sure. It says the best advice, and you already mentioned this actually. Yes. The best advice for collectors is to spend three months researching before spending your money on cards. I think that's especially true in this market now, right? If you come in not understanding how the market works, what sort of scarcity is, what is the demand level, how how grading companies are ranked within the community, it's really dangerous and it's easy to throw your money money away. You know, if you if you put your money into a break and expect a high return or everybody's doing it, it's exciting, you know, it, you're likely going to lose all your money. Same thing with anything else that you buy. You know, it's non-licensed product. Well, I didn't know that when I came into the back into it. Back when I was collecting in the 90s, there was like 10 different brands of companies that would sell sports cards, licensed sports cards, you know, Pinnacle, Mm-hmm. Uh, upper deck tops and I can name a bunch of them and that's not the case now there's mainly just tops and panini but it's a different it's a different world than what it used to be I think is when you're collectors when you're younger mm-hmm. and so when you're coming back in you go oh that's a nice auto or you know and if you want to in my mind turn your money and and not flip but maybe sell the card later on for more you need to understand some of these small minute variables mm-hmm. you know maybe a BGS 9.5 isn't all the same if it has a nine sub or if it has, if there's some other parts of the hobby that you're not aware of, sticker autos or like what are sticker autos, right? And so I really think that the person who comes into that right now probably needs like three to six months of just really understanding, going on discords, you know, going on Reddit and, and things on those lines to learn. 
Right. Yeah. There's, there's certainly a steep learning curve and that's not to say that people can't jump into the hobby, but if, if you oh, want to, yeah. you know, really immerse yourself in it, there is a learning curve. Uh, and coincidentally, I, I was piecing these together and I, I mm-hmm. put that at the, as the number one and I go on the blowout forums today and, and there's a, a brand new thread of somebody uh-huh. that said, did I get ripped off? <laughs> and they, and it was four slabbed cards and right. you know, it, it was, I mean, no offense, but it, it was junk. It was shiny mm-hmm. junk. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm, and in the post, he's like, well, I didn't really know what I was doing. I, I don't know much about cards. And and he spent like $250 and it just blows mm-hmm. my mind that people are still doing that. And, uh, you know, I, I like I said, I don't want to judge these people, but, right. um, anytime you're spending your money, even if it is it, maybe 250 is a small amount to you, maybe it's a mm-hmm. lot, uh, but you know, be very cautious about what you're doing. Uh, and that leads us to number two that I picked out here, I guess, mm. which says you're ultimately responsible for the card purchases you make. I think a lot of times people new to the community can get kind of like wrapped in to what their friends are doing, right? Oh, we're mm-hmm. buying this, we're buying that. And you kind of just do it. And I'm I'm guilty of that too. You know, I some of my friends bought something like, okay, that's a good idea. I'll go ahead and buy it. And then when things potentially go downhill, you really don't have anything more to be blamed except for yourself for, mm-hmm. for buying those cards. And that's why it's important to really spend the time to learn and understand what happens because you you know you could potentially lose your money. And it's easy sometimes to think of like sports cards money that you spend on wherever, kind of like casino money in some ways, right? right. Because if if you just click a button and you buy it, you're not taking the money out of your wallet and giving it to the person necessarily when you're buying these things. And so it's important to understand that when you, when you make these purchases to that, that you're responsible for that. Right. And, and I think even those of us that have been in it, I know um, I'm, I'm kind of, I've still got kind of a little stash of 2020 money is what I call right, yeah, it. And, yeah. and maybe uh-huh. it was from another, you know, the year before and after, but I've still kind of got that little stash and uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still thinking, oh, this is this is 2020 money, right? So right. It's, it, it doesn't it doesn't hurt as if it were like my real paycheck. But I know right. at some point that's going to run out. So I am trying to be mindful of that uh, and make that last as long as I can. But um, so that goes to number three. Then it says overextending mm-hmm. yourself is dangerous. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, it is. And it just sort of like ties into what I said before about spending too much money on things and, and getting really excited and going on whatnot. And it's easy just to start bidding on stuff and getting involved in really expensive breaks. You know, and before you know it, you end up spending way more money than you thought you did. Mm-hmm. Same with like eBay auctions. You can easily just go on there and um, uh, and click away and, and start, you know, people finding people for a card and you buy something that you didn't want to buy in the first place, but it just kind of caught your attention in the moment and you didn't do the research. Yeah. And then, so then number four that I've got here says, sometimes you have to take the L, take it with pride and don't blame others. Uh, That's something we're seeing a little bit of now too is, well, this app told me, or this person told me, um, tell me, I mean, have you had to take any L's over these last few years or, or through your journey coming back in? Oh, absolutely. And I think everybody who's been in it for a while now that was buying in peak 2021 definitely has to take a lot of, you know, losses or potential losses on cards. You know, I bought like a Lamar Jackson Select during the peak for like $400. And that's like a mm-hmm. $60 card now. And so, you know, I, I sell it, but that's that's just, you know, I'm willing to take that. But you have to have that mindset when you first start buying things like, is this just, you know, disposable income? Can I put this money aside? And what happens after? Am I okay with it going down potentially? Mm-hmm. So then um, the next point that I, I pulled from your list, it says, keep a detailed expense tracker. 
um, which possibly excel mm -hmm. with the minimum purchases, date purchases, taxes, fees, date sold, net profit, time held. And, and you probably got some other things in there as well. Tell me a little bit about keeping these types of records. Well, I kind of did that from day one. If you're buying cards, you should understand how much you, you paid for the card, how much you sold the card for, and really how much you netted after fees and taxes and shipping, especially if you're, if you're selling off eBay, to keep in mind what those are. And then this way, you can sort of like track your history and understand patterns and how long you've held cards and things on those lines, which I think is important because if you're just buying and selling and buying and selling, which maybe the younger community is doing, you know, it's, it's much easier to stay organized when you have a detailed Excel sheet. Yeah. And um, I know there was, there was one episode I did. It was probably during 2020 when things were just going crazy. It, it was my attempt to get organized. And I was looking at different softwares and different apps and different platforms. Mm -hmm. And um, even with all the fancy stuff out there, I, I kind of went back to Excel. I, I said, you know what? I, I like the control that Excel gives me. Uh, but at the same time, like if, if you, um, you know, for some people, card ladder works and you can go in there mm -hmm. and you exactly. can export that as a, I think a CSV, which eventually is mm -hmm. a spreadsheet. So uh, that's something to consider as well. Okay. Now some of those cards you might be buying might be, you know, a lot cheaper than others. So one of your points said some $5 cards are just as cool as $500 ones. Can you give me an example of that? So I'm collecting the 1998 Donruss signature series millennium marks set and i'm almost there but i have you know some of the cards that i buy are like two to five dollar cards as part of that set some of them are four or five hundred dollars but to complete the set which i'm sure some people know when they're putting sets together that these cards are cool to you and they're nostalgic and they provide a lot of importance at least to you personally when you're collecting these cards and i think that's more important too when people are shipping cards that are necessarily cheap it doesn't mean they're not important to the person you know, so if you're going to ship something just in a penny sleeve with, you know, scotch tape or whatever, sort of like wishy-washy put together to ship, people should understand that it actually means something to people that buy these cards. And, you know, even though they may not be valuable. Right. So Probstein, I hope you're listening. Stop sending my $40 <laughs> cards in penny exactly. sleeves. Exactly. All right. right. Um, so now, and and this is actually your, your next point here. I, I record every Probstein package that I open because of that, because of, <gasps> mm -hmm. you know, sometimes it's shipped that way, but you have record yourself opening expensive and, and non-expensive could be as well. Card mm -hmm. packages for insurance purposes. Okay. Now tell me a little bit more about that. I've gotten a habit of doing this after hearing some horror stories of people getting burned potentially. Oh, I didn't receive my, you know, didn't, I didn't receive my card or anything on those lines. And so what I'll do is from both the shipping perspective and the receiving perspective, if I have a large card or $500,000 card that I'm sending out to somebody, I'll videotape myself packaging it up nicely. I'll send the appropriate pictures of everything bubble wrapped and everything packaged nicely. And I'll send it to them with tracking and all that stuff. And when I receive the card, I think it's important too. I also record myself opening the package. This is just insurance for yourself in the case that, you know, something might bad might happen and you don't just, just, just in case to cover yourself. And I think that's, you know, a tactic that I use. And I think it's useful for people that open cards in, in mail or send it out. Yeah. Now, especially, I mean, we're in the era where everyone's got a, a camera in their pocket. So there's, yeah. there's not an elaborate setup that you have to have in order to do that. Just, you know, do, do it like you would any other Instagram video or whatever. All right. So the next one, mm -hmm. it said, com C is the bomb. So, oh, yeah. you know, this is probably as about as good a time. <laughs> I mean, everyone that listens, you know, what's coming here, uh, but this is time to remind everyone that this show is brought to you in part by com C.com. 
And they are excited to announce their latest partnership with CGC Trading Cards and CSG. With over 30 million raw cards available in their marketplace, ComC is ready to provide an effortless grading experience for you to buy, sell, and now grade your Marvel, Sports, Star Wars, and TCG trading cards. ComC is thrilled to offer a smooth and seamless grading process that's available today for all customers. Okay, now, you said ComC is the bomb. Tell me a little bit about your ComC experience. Yeah, it definitely was on my list. So, um, yeah, I love ComC. You know, it has a lot of different, you know, ways that we can use it, but it's just great for cards that are 50 cents to $500. It's just really easy. The indexing is great in regards to looking for specific cards that you're trying to find on there, or maybe some cards that aren't listed on eBay. It's a great resource, I think, to find these like lower level cards. Maybe you'll find in dollar boxes at card stores, card, card shows, but you won't find necessarily on eBay. So I think it's a great resource you know, great pictures and great imaging. You can zoom in, zoom out, whatever you need to do, flip the card over. And when you ship it to them too, it's so easy. They'll do everything for you. They'll, you know, put them in top loaders when they send it back out to you. So I think it's a great service overall for the card community. Yeah, I don't sell on eBay and I hate, I for what, I just hate shipping. I hate shipping and uh, I, it's just so much better for me mm -hmm. to put it all in one big box and just forget about it. And, and it works really well for me. Then I use that credit to buy Pacers cards that, like you said, <laughs> you know, two and $3 cards on eBay, I'm going to be paying, you know, three times that right. just because of the shipping, just because it is mm -hmm. such a cheap card. So great website as usual. You guys know that I mm -hmm. love that. Um, okay. So number nine here that I have from you, it says discuss who pays fees, shipping and insurance for off eBay purchases. So, um, and, and I don't know if there is a standard, I mean, I guess, mm -hmm. I guess when I've dealt with people, it's, it's assumed that the buyer is going to pay those fees, but I, I don't know if that's necessarily the case all the time. Your, this point seems to imply maybe it's not. So tell me more about what you mean here. I think it's not making assumptions at all. It's understanding, you know, who's paying for what and what are the expectations. So I think being on the same page, so if I'm buying a card that's expensive, then I'll just preemptively message that person and say, hey, can we talk about insurance, packaging, all these other options? Because rather than just assuming that a person might ship it a certain way, or they might provide you with tracking or protect the card correctly, or you know, insure the card, things on those lines. Because if a card, something gets lost, then someone's going to be out some money and some cards. And so I think it's an important factor when, when thinking about, you know, if you're going to sell a card, on a Discord, right? If you're in a Discord or if you're selling it on IG or somewhere else that's not necessarily regulated by eBay who has your back or, or wherever else that might be, I think it's important to sort of figure that out ahead of time. Yeah, and, and you don't have this on here, although you might've had it in a different point, but if, if you're asking those questions and someone seems to get a little agitated at that, it might be a good time to just cancel that deal altogether. Because if they don't respect your ability and, and your right to those things, then it's probably not a good person to deal with. Yeah. I mean, if, if someone's, you know, saying, oh, let's do it on Zelle or let's just do it on, you know, Venmo friends and family, well, then that's a red flag because you can't recuperate your money if you don't do it through goods and services or through other, some other, you know, protected way of doing it. And just in case something does happen. Yeah. And, and I've had instances where, um, you know, somebody said, well, will you do family and friends? And I'm like, okay, well, you know, what's your 3%? Like, what do right. you need to get here? It, do mm -hmm. I need to add in another 10 bucks or whatever right. to make this, to make this actually work? So uh, most people are receptive to that, but like you said, it just takes communication. 
Okay. Right. Um, number 10, you've got ship cards between cardboard secured with painter's tape in a bubble mailer. Um, so there are a lot of people that need to hear that. And then uh, you said uh, $5 and, and above card should be mailed USPS priority with insurance. Now I, I've heard different things. I, and I can't, I don't even know if I've mailed a card that's worth more than that. To be honest, I've heard people say, no, you need to use FedEx or you need to use this, or you need to use that. Um, what's your thinking there going with USPS? Well, I, this is my opinion again, and this is not exactly like the law of the land and, and people have many other ways of doing it correctly. Personally, I like using USPS for, for cards that are over, um, you know, $500 because there's insurance and other ways that you can send it off. And I also, you know, when I'm selling a card that's expensive, I also put that inside there. I said, Hey, I'm going to inside eBay's, you know, shipping information. I want to ship this card, you know, USPS priority, small flat rate box or whatever it might be. And so this way it's clear. So if someone buys the card and they prefer to ship it, me to ship it another way, I'm happy to whether that's FedEx or some other sort of way of getting it to them faster or in a different sort of courier if they like. And then when it comes to the whole cardboard pieces, I think we probably did a 30 minute video on how to ship cards correctly, but you know, generally you want cards to be, in my opinion, over $5 between cardboard with painter's tape around it. Cause I think it's important that the cards protected and sent out in a bubble mailer. And that's really cheap items that you have to get. Like cardboard can be around your house or whatever it have to be. It doesn't have to be special kind of cardboard or special kind of bubble mailer. But I think it's important to at least have that in mind when you send it. Cause I received cards in like a 30 year old top loader, you know, with, with scotch tape on top of it in an envelope. And I'm like, well, I would appreciate it. I would have paid more money if you just let me know, because mm -hmm. it's just important, you know? Right. Um, okay. So the final five I've selected deal primarily with card shows and your experience at a card show. Uh, some of them will take a little bit longer than others. The first one is probably self-explanatory, but it's something that people need to hear. It says, if a dealer's talking to someone, wait your turn and be polite. Um, I, I think we've all seen that at shows before where uh, maybe they don't say something to butt in, mm -hmm. but they're just standing there hovering. And it's like, okay, you know, let these people operate, let them do what they're going to do. I, I'm assuming you've had that experience before, maybe on, I don't know, on both sides of the table mm -hmm. or one side. Yeah. So from both sides, I've been on part of that table and it's unbelievable. So I think sometimes when you look at people and they come in and they just throw their black box on the table and they go here, please look at my cards when they're already talking to somebody else. It's like a common courtesy. I mean, this should be clear to people when they come in, but I don't think it is a lot of the times. Some people just want to get through as many dealers as possible to look at their cards, try and sell or whatever it might be. And it's just a general politeness thing. Yeah. And, and be considerate of the dealer um, just because you're dealing with them. You know, they kind of have to keep their eyes on other things. There's a lot going on in the room that they have to be aware of. Mm -hmm. And and possibly, you know, they might be thinking about a, a deal or something that's that's going to happen later on. So there, there's just yeah. a lot going on there. Exactly. And uh, you mentioned throwing their case down on the showcase. Yeah. And that, that was another one of your points here. It says showcases are for sports cards not throwing your stuff on it. Well, I think you, you see this all the time, right? Maybe with the younger folks who don't necessarily have experience at card shows where they just throw, you know, your black, literally your black box on top of a showcase and could potentially damage it or whatever it might be. I think this needs more probably respect in the community for the dealers that are at card shows. You know, it takes time for dealers to, to comp, to add prices to cards, to get stock for the card shows. And I think 
uh, more respect probably needs to be in their hands when it comes to, you know, asking them, Hey, can I place my back box on top of here or another space, wherever it might be. So I think it's important when, when you come up to a dealer that you come up in a polite manner, not interrupt anybody or, um, or, or like I said, throwing your black box on a, on a case. And, and sometimes even more than that, I, I kid you not, I've had coffee and soy sauce of all oh, things worst, spilled dude. on my, either my case or my cards. And thankfully everything <laughs> had, uh, you know, mags over it or whatever, right. but, uh, kind of stressful. And, and, you know, even if they're apologetic, it's still like, please just go away. Right. Um, yeah, I, don't need, I don't need a water stain on my, on my case. Thank you. Right. Um, so you've got appreciate dealers who post prices on cards that takes time and effort. And, uh, I, I actually went into that a little bit um, mm -hmm. on my last episode, just talking about how if I am going to set up at a show, you know, and, and I haven't been setting up consistently, it's going to take me an entire night to price my stuff. Um, so tell me a little bit about, you know, you, you mentioned you've been on both sides of the table. What's your kind of your philosophy on pricing? Well, I just have a respect for dealers that do that in the first place. You know, I don't have that many cards when I have a, a, a showcase or if I go behind a, behind a table, but I know there's dealers that have hundreds and hundreds of cards and they have prices there. And I just respect that because that takes time to do appropriately, you know, and putting themselves out there by putting a price. A lot of times I'll see cards on there and, oh, what's the cost of this? And, oh, it's not for sale. Well, well you know, that's like, it's not, I would like to know that before I ask you if the card, you know, what, what's the details about the card? And so I think it's something that I really respect in dealers when I see it. You know, it's, I think it's a good a good start for building relationship because it's just, you know, I can ask about a card, you know, details or prices, whatever it might be. And they might they'll probably have more information for you rather than to look it up. Yeah, and, and sometimes I'll look at something and, you know, it almost, it could become an impulse buy, and right. um, I ask, hey, how much is that? And then it mm -hmm. ends up being an astronomical amount and 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 mm -hmm. also a fair amount, but I didn't know that. You know, sometimes I want to buy stuff without knowing it. And uh, right. exactly. then, and then I feel kind of rude, like, oh, you know, okay. And I, you know, I set the card down and it's like, I, I don't want to offend them. I just, it, it, we could have avoided all of that if it was priced to begin with. Now on the mm -hmm. other side of the table though, you said, if you pull cards out of, um, at a show, anticipate someone trying to make a deal on it. I mean, absolutely. I, I think, especially at like the national. So I went to the national in, in 2020 and you really have the best sports cards there, but I think you also have the best sports card negotiators there too. Mm -hmm. So if you have a card that gets pulled out, I think sometimes it's difficult when you have a high pressure situation to not sell a card, right? If mm -hmm. somebody wants to sit you down on their table and they really want a card, that can be difficult. It's almost like sometimes they always, what's the saying? If like you go to a car dealership and you go inside and sit down, you're buying a car. It's kind right. of like that sort of analogy, you know, so I think it's important to know what you pull out and what you don't pull out. All right. And then, so our, the 15th point here, it says it's totally fine to go to a card show and not make a purchase. Uh, and I think someone even criticized me on my YouTube recently for this. <laughs> they, they said I wasn't making a good use of my time. And, you know, I'm, uh, my thinking is like, you don't really know what I want to do with my time in the first place. Like it, it could be all about the experience for me. So uh, is that common for you to go to a card show and, and not make a purchase? Absolutely. I mean, it's it depends on the card show. And if you're, if you're looking mostly for baseball or basketball and it's not the right season, you know, that can happen. But I think it's, you know, don't have to buy anything. You know, I might bring money with me. And if I see something that maybe looks okay, but I'm not sure I won't buy it. I think it's also just fun to talk to people too and network. And there's other purposes, I think, for card shows for just 
buying cards. You know, it's a good opportunity to see what's out there, what's for sale, you know, what, 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 you know, what build relationships with dealers. And so I think overall it's a great, a great experience, but not, not just to buy cards, but to not even buy cards itself. All right. So as I mentioned earlier, your post originally had 50 different points on it. So I only chose 15. <laughs> so if you're listening at home and you want to see the rest of them, which I would recommend, make sure you go to Kyle's profile after the show. And Kyle, we talked some about your collection earlier, and we're going to close today by going back to that. And this is an yeah. activity I've done with, with pretty much every guest as of late. I want me, you to run me through your uh, three favorite cards in your collection, regardless of sport, mm -hmm. regardless of value. Start with number three and then work your way down to number one. Okay. So I think it's difficult to do, as I'm sure you've heard before. <laughs> yes. But I have a, um, a very interesting, I have a, I don't, I'm not a big base card fan, but I have uh, a Luka Doncic 2018-19, uh, just a basic Don, uh, basic Donruss rookie card, but it's a BGS 10. And I love that. For some reason, I love base cards that are very highly graded. It's like a pop 28 out of like 1600 oh, or something wow. like that. So uh, it's one of my actual favorite cards that I have. And so even though it's more recent, uh, the second one I would say is I have a um, 2005 Tops Finest Tom Brady. It's just a base card again, but it's a BGS 10 and it's a pop one. So I know it's a oh, popular wow. set, the, the 05 Tops Finest. And so that's a, a favorite of mine <clears throat> as well. And then um, looking at my favorite, I have to say it's probably my uh, 1998 Donruss Signature Series Millennium Marks Derek Cheater Auto. I think okay. it's at a, like 350 or 375 or something like that. And that definitely took a while to get and get the funds to buy. So those are my top three uh, sports cards. And collection. I know the people listening at home can't see it, but that's you've got that set behind you. Is that correct? Yeah, I put it in four showcases on the wall. It takes up most of my wall. So um, I try to post pictures every once in a while on IG and post it in my stories. But yeah. Now, is that uh, is that a hobby room or is that like a, an outer room? Like, does your wife allow that? Well, the wife doesn't know about it. You know, it's transitioning into one right now. It's, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll make it we'll make that known to her as we can put more stuff in here. But it's my office. But um, I just put it for the background for right now. All right. Well, yeah, you, you see all of my, you know, stuff piling up in the background here. This is my one space in the house. And the only place I can do now is I can only build up from here. So Kyle, I've really enjoyed getting to know you today and, and hearing your advice for all the collectors mm -hmm. out there. And, and I really appreciate you sharing that stuff. Before I let you go, I want to give you a chance to plug your social media handles and then anything you're working on or anything you might be looking for. These next few moments here are yours. Thank you, Kyle. Yes. Uh, so player Warren is my uh, Instagram handle uh, player Warren at Gmail. If you want to get in contact with me and, and just talk about the, these rules I talked about or get more information about me, uh, I do memes, uh, sports card memes about some of the more uh, uh, common uh, pain points we all go through in the hobby. So have a look to get the opportunity. I'd love to talk to you, connect with you as well. I am looking for one card. The set I had mentioned, the 98 Donruss signature series set, I am missing only one card of the 126 that are in there. So I have 125. I'm just looking for the Jay Buhner card. So if you happen to have a Jay Buhner autograph from that set, I would love to talk to you. Uh, thank you so much, Kyle, for having me on the episode. It was great to, opportunity to chat with you and, and your community and, and discuss uh, sports cards and sports card rules. All right. So definitely not the Mariner that I expected when you <laughs> said you were missing one card there. Thanks again, Kyle. Thank you. All right. Well, there you have it. Maybe there was something we talked about today that resonated with you. 
feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under at Wax Museum Podcast or Twitter under the handle at Wax Museum PC. Remember, you can help support this show by using the affiliate links at my website, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Additionally, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store, tag Taco Bell, and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. <laughs>